Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you because you do have a good purpose for us. So empower us to hear your word this morning and become everything that you have destined for us. And everyone said, you may be seated. All right. Good morning. I'm here to pump you up. Are you ready to work it out? Are you ready to sweat? Okay, so those of you who were here for the first part of this message last month, you'll remember that we looked at this verse and we talked about how our salvation and our faith is a lot like going to the gym. And we looked at some of the people that we meet when we begin to work out our salvation. You'll never forget, selfie girl, right? She looks fit. She looks stylish. She looks put together, but she isn't actually breaking a sweat. And then we met ProBro. He knows everything about working out, and he tells everyone else what they're doing wrong, but he isn't actually working out himself. And then we talked about the real deal, the guy who was actually coming with an intent to grow and to develop. Well, this morning, we're really going to focus in on that part of our growth and development. So do you want to grow? All right, I like your interaction. Are you ready for some definition in your spiritual development? I'm talking six-pack, bulging biceps, thunder thighs walk with Jesus. (laughs) You want to run this race like there's a skunk chasing you. Right, Cameron? Let me put it this way. If you're working out regularly and you're going to the gym and you're eating right, how many of you want to keep that a secret? Well, gosh, I hope no one notices that I'm losing weight and getting stacked. No. In fact, when you go home right after the gym, before you hit the shower, you stopped at the mirror, didn't you? You were checking yourself out. Some of you, even before you got home, in between reps at the gym, you're looking in the mirror, flexing those muscles, right? Ladies, you're sucking it in, looking at your calves, guys, contorting into all sorts of positions to check out your hard-earned muscles. Am I right? The church said... We like to see growth when we work out. And I mean, you know, the added energy and the health is great, but come on, we want to notice the work, and we want others to notice it too. Now, I'm going to tell on Kirsten here for a second. It's okay, you don't have to pray for my safety yet. I ran this by her beforehand. Kirsten told me after her first workout, after she gave birth to our daughter, Mila, she came home from the gym and she was feeling really good. The workout was much better than she had anticipated. So she comes home and she goes into the closet and she starts trying on pants. I think you probably gather how that worked out. Because, you know, she worked out once. So obviously that didn't go real well. But look, don't give her a hard time. I know there's a lot of people in this room that have done the exact same thing. And that's kind of who we are, isn't it? We want instant results. We want it fast. We want it now. And that's where lovely little products like this come in. Yes, you too can have six-pack abs in six seconds if you buy this little product, the Ab Enhancer. Who knows, maybe someone here is wearing it this morning. 
And faith is the same way. We want insta strength, insta power without the work. We want victory without a fight. We want promotion without pain. And Paul tells us to work out our salvation. But how? So let's look at what he says. Continue to work out your salvation with hearts and flowers and rainbows. Oh, no, that's not what it said. Okay, wait, let me look at that again. Continue to work out your salvation at the spa during me time. Hmm, No, that's not the right version. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear. This is the fear and trembling workout. So yeah, if Paul was making workout DVDs, they probably would not be flying off the shelves because look, we're not gonna see growth and development watching cat videos on the internet. No, spiritual growth comes through fear and trembling. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. Are you saying that Christians could live in fear? Look, before you start to plug your ears and chant, perfect love casts out fear, perfect love casts out fear. Look, hear me out. There is such a thing as a healthy and good kind of fear and respect, right? For example, I'm a certified NRA pistol instructor, and I teach a class at a local range. Now, people who handle firearms properly always have a healthy respect for the power that they hold when they handle a gun. Did you see the article in the news about a guy who accidentally shot himself? He was trying to take a selfie with a gun, right? Mishandle a gun, goof around, act stupid and silly and careless, and you just might wind up permanently injuring or killing yourself or somebody else. There is such a thing as a positive and healthy fear and respect, right? Fear of the Lord keeps us from spiritual stupidity, also known as sinning. And King David wrote, the fear of the Lord is clean. And God gave a word through the prophet Isaiah, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So when the Apostle Paul encourages us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he's making a direct reference to the day that God himself audibly spoke the Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Horeb, wrapped in smoke and fire in the hearing of the entire Jewish nation. And the mountain trembled, and they trembled, and they were awestruck in fear. Exodus chapter 20 When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And that's the story in the mind of the Christians in Philippi when Paul is using those words, fear and trembling. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's right. So in other words, when we act out of fear or reverence or respect for God, we are being wise. And when we act out of fear for anyone or anything else, well, then we are being stupid. 
And how many of you can agree with that, right? I mean, if you think of the stupidest decisions that you ever made, they were the ones you made in fear, right? You were afraid of losing your job, or ladies, you were afraid a better man wouldn't come along. No need to look around. You were afraid housing prices would keep rising. You were afraid. You were afraid. And so you did something stupid. So turn to your neighbor and say, don't be an idiot. And I think sometimes... (laughs) We just need to say that to each other, right? Remind each other that when we're acting out of fear for someone other than God, we're kind of being idiots. So the fear part of this fear and trembling salvation workout is to fear only God. So what about the trembling? In my 20s, I had a group of friends, and we would work out just to get bigger. We wanted to gain mass and strength. We wanted our muscles to grow, and the quickest way was to work out to the point of failure. And what that means is that we would intentionally lift more than we could to the point where we were shaking and would otherwise drop the weight other than that one of us would be the spot, which would mean that he would also have his hands on the weight so that they could step in when we failed and that we wouldn't be injured when the weight fell down. So why do that? Because muscles only grow and get bigger when the muscle fibers are torn and then regrow and heal. I once bought a PT video. It was hosted by a Navy SEAL, and this guy was intense. He was picking up rocks. He was climbing things. He was doing pull-ups and push-ups and crunches. And more than once in the video while we're going through, through it, and I'm just like lathered in sweat, and he literally loses count in the middle of it. And he's like, uh, how many did I do? I forgot. Let's start over. One, two, three. And I'm like, you forgot? <sighs> and in that vein, God is saying, I'm taking you to failure. Now, it's not about repetitions. The place of failure is not going to be achieved just by coming to church. Do you still love me? This goes beyond the routine of your volunteering. This goes beyond the repetition of your charity. Are you scared yet? The place of failure is going to be achieved when you don't have any answers. God says, I'm taking you to the place where your limits are exhausted so that my limitlessness can take over. And this is the fear and trembling workout, a place of failure, a place where we experience pain and tearing so that as we heal in those places, we become stronger because of that. And we can walk through that place of failure with God who intentionally takes us into that place with a sense of assurance because he is with us and he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You see, because as your personal spiritual trainer, the Holy Spirit is purposely taking you to a place where your options are out. Your strength is gone. Your resources are spent, and your intelligence is not enough. Well, that sounds like a swell workout. I think when we're in pain, when things don't work out the way we were hoping they would, our first response is what? Why? Why is this happening? Why is God pushing me to lift weight that I can't on my own? Well, 
Step into God's gym here with me this morning, and I want to introduce you to a man who can answer that question for you. Now, if you're not acquainted with Gideon, I highly recommend that you read his story. It's in the book of Judges. I'll give you the abridged version. Basically, God selects a very unlikely hero to lead an impossible mission against overwhelming odds. Israel was living in a Mad Max movie come to life. Countless thousands of mass murdering Midianites and Amalekites ganged up and they raid and they rape and they plunder unchallenged for seven years. And God tells Gideon to stop hiding like a sissy and to go find some men to turn those Midianites into ground beef. And so many hot-blooded Israeli guys show up to the fight that God intentionally tells Gideon to cut the numbers from 32,000 to 300 against more than 135,000 bloodthirsty Midianite gangbangers. Judges chapter 7, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. So God explicitly tells Gideon, this is the reason why I'm telling you to keep sending people home. Because if I don't, you're going to think that you did this. And I need you to remember, walking away from this situation, that it was me. And that's why I'm bringing you into what looks like a very desperate place, with not enough resources and a plan that makes no sense because I need you to walk away from this and look back on it on the other side and know beyond the shadow of a doubt, it wasn't you, it was me. And what was it Paul said? For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The reason why is because God wants you to know that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know it wasn't your ability. It was his ability. So that you don't run around the gym saying, look what I did, ah, Hulk smash. No, then pride sets in and he doesn't want you to fall to pride or to think that you have to do everything on your own in your strength. He is with you. And it makes me think of the story in Mark chapter 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm rose up and high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion And the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Think about it this way. How many of the disciples in that boat knew how to operate oars and and run a boat, right? 
a lot of them, a good portion of them. Peter was a fisherman well accustomed to navigating rough waters. Imagine if the story ended this way. There was a big bad storm, but through Peter's skill and quick thinking, he saved the disciples and Jesus from drowning. Okay, so what would happen next? The next time the disciples are in a storm, they would say, I sure wish Peter was here. No, God does not want our trust or our faith to be in ourselves or in anyone else or any other person. He wants all our faith and trust. Like the words to that song, my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Which brings me to the second point here. Once Jesus calms the storm, what happens? The disciples start asking questions, right? Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When you come to the end of yourself, your knowledge, the end of your resources, the limits of your abilities, and then you trust God, you see him in a new way, a way that you hadn't before. So let me say it like this. You won't get a revelation of God as your provider until you are in great need. You won't get a revelation of God as your healer until you're sick and the doctors don't have any answers. You want to know God as your source of peace? Get ready for the storm. God takes us into these places where it's the unknown and where we're now beyond the limits of what's predictable and what's planned and what is certain and the routine. Now we're working out our salvation in a place where we don't know what to do. And that is the place where he reveals something about who he is to us. You see, Jesus was on the boat the whole time, but they hit the storm and they exercise everything that they know about sailing to no effect. They hit their limit and then they get mad at Jesus. And I know you've been there, right? Why are you letting this happen? Don't you care, God? This lawsuit is going to destroy me. Don't you understand? I've done everything that I know how to do and my family is about to blow apart. Where are you, Jesus? The doctor says there's nothing he can do. Wake up, Jesus. I've prayed every prayer I know. I'm exhausted. I have no more words. Aren't you concerned at all? And they hit their wall. And then Jesus calms the storm by speaking to it. And that situation turned on a dime, didn't it? And that check showed up in the mail. And that cancer went into remission. And you walked away from an accident that should have taken you out. And you're standing there blinking like those disciples. Now they know Jesus in a way they didn't know him before. And they're experiencing fear and trembling. You see, Jesus was with you the whole time. But now you see him in a way that you didn't before. And you never would have known what kind of power he had until you were brought to a place where you were exhausted and you have no more strength left. And when we come to the place of failure, where there is no hope, that's when Jesus steps in. And he says, okay, now I can do the miraculous. And I think the main reason that he does this is so that we can never take credit, that we can never doubt that it was anything other than the sovereign hand of God that our circumstance changed. Why? 
so that when we are in a place of failure the next time, we can mentally go back to that place as a memorial and say, God met me at the place of failure before, and I know he will do it again. And now we can allow God to bring us into those difficult places of fear and trembling because we know he is there when we face problems bigger than us. Which brings us to our next friend in God's gym. A young shepherd boy, David, he walks into a crazy deadlock where everyone's guns are drawn and pointed at everybody else. It's a staring contest to the death. And King Saul is afraid and his fear is trickled down to the troops of the Israeli defense forces who are treated to a daily tongue lashing by a nine-foot, card-carrying, devil-worshipping mutant on steroids who is cussing and blaspheming God long before Hollywood has a chance to make him famous for it. And here comes young David. He's delivering rations for his brothers, and he doesn't have context on the situation. He certainly has no military training. But here's what he does have. He has an experience killing a lion and killing a bear, both of which have come to attack the sheep he was in charge of. And he tells everyone who tries to talk him down, God was with me, and he helped me kill both of those animals, even though they were bigger and they were stronger than me, and God is going to help me kill that Philistine too. And David was able to look back at those moments when God was with him facing problems bigger and stronger than he was. And now he's able to see a new problem, and that means God is going to reveal himself in a new way. And he goes out there only with what he knows, and with the God that he knows. And David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And Goliath laughs out loud, and he thinks, I'm going to make short work of this Jewish you know, little kid. And the next thing that goes through his mind is a rock. And David goes on to become one of the most successful warriors in Israeli history. But David could never have had victory had he not exercised his faith in those smaller things before. It's that tenacity of holding on to what is true that carried him from battle to battle. A new level, a new devil. God wants you to grow your spiritual muscles, not for a show and not for a pose down but so that you can tackle something even bigger. If you can't take the struggle, you are telling God, I can't handle promotion. Jesus said, if you're faithful over a few things, I will make you a ruler over many things. You're trying to be a ruler over a city, but you haven't been faithful in the small things. The reason you're not getting a promotion is because you're not putting in the practice. If you don't see God's glory in your small rehearsal, you're not going to see it out on the big stage. For David, the lion and the bear, those were the practice rounds. And have you ever thought that maybe the problems that you're facing right now are practice rounds for the battles that lie ahead? Greater victory, greater territory, more of God's promises. And this reminds me of Abraham. Genesis 22. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. 
And Abraham is an example of this because by the time he gets to the place where God says to him, tomorrow morning get up early and sacrifice your son to me. He's already been through a lifetime of problems and testing with God, leaving his country, rescuing his nephew and family from three armies, interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. But this is a situation where God is asking him to do something that makes no sense. It goes against his heart. It goes against his conviction. It seemingly goes against the promises of God. He doesn't know how it's going to work out. He has no answers. And his son asks, where's the ram for the sacrifice? And Abraham's reply, God will supply. But he doesn't know how it's going to work out. But you see, Abraham has been to the place of failure many times now. And he's put in a lifetime of working out his faith. And what he does know is that God will resolve this. And this is the place of God bringing him to failure And this is the place where he reveals himself as provider. Because of all the times he trusted God, when it didn't make sense, when the next test came, he was able to say in faith, God will supply. You see, two things happen in the place of failure. One, I come face to face with my limitations. And two, I see God reveal himself in a new way that sparks a new awe and reverence for who he is in my life. I know what it is to fear and tremble, and I know that he will take me there again and again and again. Why? To be honest, because the moments where I've grown the most have been, and where my character has developed have been the result of painful circumstances. Wish I could say it was otherwise, but it's the truth. I've never experienced great spiritual leaps and strides when everything was easy and everything was going the way that I just thought it should go. I grew when it hurt the most. That's when I saw God. And those are the personal experiences that no one can take from you. No one can convince you to believe that it was you or that it wasn't God. The Apostle James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Look, you don't get muscles watching someone else experience failure. You don't get strong watching someone else work out watching someone else's faith grow. You know, we watch someone go through things and and we get encouraged by others, but it doesn't make you grow. No, growth only happens when it's personal. Faith is a full contact sport. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it right, you're going to get hurt. So to help us out, come on, let's welcome the real deal. All right. Derek is a fitness trainer at Northside, and he is unmarried. (laughs) There's no need to come to the altar yet. No need. We'll get there. The last time we saw Real Deal, he was pushing away the distractions of Selfie Girl and Pro Bro. He was getting serious about working out his faith, but now the trainer has come, and he's called him aside for a time of growth 
and development and strengthening that will only come with fear and trembling. The trainer is calling us away from our comfortable routines. But wait, wait, you say, I I am working out my faith. You see, I've got some sweat right here. and I've got my workout mapped out and scheduled. I am good with the routine. I am conditioned, see? But the trainer says, "Mm -mm -mm. there's more. It's time to develop and grow stronger. Today, you're going to break out of your routine and do what you've never done before. In fact, you're going to failure. I want to take you past the breaking point so that you can grow stronger. Trust me. I'll be with you. Now, I know what you're thinking while you're watching this. You're thinking, why would I ever want to do that? (laughs) Yeah, come on, give him a hand. You saw him straining and shaking and sweating and trembling, and you wonder, why would I ever want to do that when I can, you know, I can just kind of do my two miles on the treadmill. I'm good with that. I don't have to go to the place of extreme discomfort. Here's what God said to Jeremiah. If racing against men makes you tired, how are you going to race the horses? If you're petering out at step one, how are you ever going to get to the places that I have for you? God requires it. He requires everything because then we're broke and we're bankrupt and we're exhausted and we're at the place of failure. And the reason I say that is because I know that's how we think sometimes. I can't do this with the the little talent that I have. I can't do this with this little dream that I have. The problem is bigger than me. I'm going to be a laughing stock or worse. But God requires everything so that we never think that it was in our surplus that he answered. You see, a God-ordained dream will always be beyond your resources and beyond your abilities. You can't accomplish it. Give beyond your ability so that God can bless beyond your ability. Remember earlier when I mentioned the Israelites? They got to hear God's voice in the wilderness. God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and they were no longer slaves. They were free, but they also weren't in their promised land. In fact, an entire generation never got to see the promised land. Because time after time, as they went through test, God, and God revealed himself to them, they still had no faith. Hey, God, we need water. Boom. Okay, here's some water from a rock. Hey, hey God, we need food. Boom, here's some fresh food every morning. Hey, God, the Egyptians are trying to kill us. No problem. I'm just going to open up the sea for you here. You walk through, and I'll make it crash on them. And every time God provides for them, he was revealing a part of his character. I am the bread. I am the living water. I am life. And think about yourself. Hasn't he shown you that he is your provider, that he is your healer and your lawyer and your doctor, that he is your family? 
and you've been working out your salvation time after time, God is revealing himself to you. But after all of this, they still wouldn't believe. They'd been following his presence in the wilderness and they get right up to the edge of the promised land and they say, oh man, God was great with all those you know, miracles and food and the Egyptians and you know, killing our enemies and all that. But man, I think these giants are too much for him. And God was like, what? Through all of that, their faith never grew. They were spiritual sissies. They didn't die as slaves, but they didn't die as inheritors of the promised land either. So what about us? Maybe God has come and and we've allowed him to come and deliver us from our slavery to sin. You know, you can play like you're following God and being obedient to him, but not fully coming to the end of yourself and trusting that he will make up the difference. Even after every miracle that God has done for you and all the miracles that you've experienced in your life, you can still be stingy with yourself, with giving everything to him, with putting your whole heart into trusting him. And hear me here, you can die in that spiritual desert. You'll die unsatisfied. You'll die without experiencing the promised land that he has for you. What God has promised to you and to your family and to your children, you'll die without seeing that here because you doubted and you were afraid and you were uncomfortable. You know, the thing I love about this verse that we talk about at the beginning is that Paul says to work out your faith with fear and trembling. It's okay to shake. I bet David was shaking. I bet Abraham was shaking. And I know the disciples in that boat were shaking. It's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to wimp out on God. Do it anyway. Do it when you look messed up. Do it when all you can do is put one foot in front of the other. Because when you do what he asks you to do, you'll see the hand of God move on your behalf and you will know him as Jehovah Jireh and your Jehovah Nisi and your Jehovah Shalom. You will know it was only him that brought you into your promised land. And it will happen in a way that you cannot take the credit Come on, let's stand on our feet. I want everyone to stand and close your eyes. Come on, let's just thank God for his faithfulness. Thank you for helping us to grow stronger, God. Thank you for helping us to grow closer to you as we discover your strength in our weakness. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us. Open our eyes and our hearts to what our true spiritual condition is.